The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. There's a man in the Bible who, apart from the Lord Jesus Christ himself, apart from him, he probably is the most uh, standout figure in the Word of God. If you will, turn to Acts chapter 13, and we're going to read about this man in one verse that is the only man in history who has been characterized in this way. Of course, I'm talking about David. And I want you to read with me in Acts chapter 13 and verse 22. And this is Paul's first public sermon uh, in the, uh, uh, in, as he stands after he's been converted on the road to Damascus, after he's been born again and converted and he's been taught. This is the first public sermon we read from Paul. And in the course of this sermon, he says this in verse 22. He says, when he had removed him, speaking of Saul here, he's giving a history of the, of the nation of Israel. says, and when he, that is God, had removed him, that is Saul, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. David, the son of Jesse, is called a man after God's own heart. And I suppose if we were to have a, a title to this series of sermons that I believe the Lord is leading me to preach, it would be a man after God's own heart. David, the king here, began not as a king, but as a young shepherd boy. Uh, and, and if you read in the Word of God, uh, you don't find the name David ever mentioned uh, up until the book of Ruth. The first time, the first appearance of David is, is found in the book of Ruth when uh, in the fourth chapter when the lineage there of Ruth is given and we find out that she is David's great-grandmother. David was an imposing character in the Word of God. If my research is correct, uh, we find the name David mentioned 1,083 times after the book of Ruth. So a total of, it's mentioned twice in the book of Ruth, a total of 1,085 times in the Word of God, the name David is used. And 58 of those times are in the New Testament alone. David didn't fade from the scene after the Old Testament days ended. David didn't go away and we forgot about him. You know, we don't hear the name Saul very much. We hear of Saul of Tarsus, but God changed his name. <laughs> but Saul sort of faded from the scene. He was, uh, but David is still an imposing character in the Bible, even up through uh, the New Testament. The next time we see David mentioned after the book of Ruth is in 1 Samuel chapter 16. His introduction to the stage of history is rather ignominious. It doesn't really, uh, uh, he doesn't really stand out that much. We find that there weren't very many people that thought a whole lot about David or thought a whole lot of him. You recall that in the 15th chapter of 1 Samuel, uh, Saul had finally, he had been slowly taking steps of disobedience that the Lord was not happy with. But finally in the 15th chapter, he went too far. He 
totally disobeyed the word of God. He did not go down there and do what God said to the Amalekites. And so Samuel said, I'm going to, uh, uh, the, the Lord has taken the kingdom away from you. The kingdom is rent from you. And we're told that it was so bad of a break that Samuel came no more to see Saul until the day of his death. By the way, let me just stop and say this about that. Did you know that there are things that can happen in this world to where divisions can be drawn, lines can be drawn between people so badly that they can no longer fellowship together? Sometimes it's both of them's fault, but sometimes it's not. In this case, it was not Samuel's fault. Samuel was right. Samuel was on the right side. Samuel was on the Lord's side. Divisions where both people are at fault are not favored by God. They're not a sanctioned by God, but, and, and it's not right to have that. We should always be uh, willing to recognize where we are in error and where that we need to be gracious and kind and long-suffering to the other person. But there are times when the lines are drawn along the, the, the boundaries, if you will, of the kingdom of God and the word of God to where the, the, the break is so bad, the person that you're dealing with has is, is gone so far from where they should be in walking with God that you just cannot have fellowship with them. Abraham and Lot come to mind. Abraham wasn't perfect. He had his problems. But Lot was so far into Sodom. Lot was so taken with the world that there was nothing he and Abraham had in common. And they couldn't really have any fellowship. The only time I know of that, they, that we're told that they actually talked again after Lot chose Sodom was when Abraham went and delivered him from the kings that had taken him captive. And then Lot went right back to Sodom. When that happens... Sometimes, beloved, you've just got to break the tie and go on. Happened here with Samuel. Samuel had to say, Saul, I can't come see you anymore. You're so now, now, does that mean that it was irreversible and irrevocable? No. Saul could have repented. Saul could have changed his tune, if you will. Saul could have started doing, stopped doing wrong, started doing right, come back to Samuel and said, Samuel, I want to have fellowship again. I'm trying to put all these things away. And if we go through this series, we'll see a little bit about that. But he didn't do that. And so Samuel came no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Now, let me just say this to you, though. It doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. And if our heart is tender and our heart is right with God, those kinds of things are not things to rejoice in. You know what it says Samuel did? Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul. And the Lord repented that he had made Saul king over Israel. Samuel mourned for that. You know, there are people today that I cannot fellowship with that have been in the kingdom of God and have left it in such a horrible way and such a, a complete break that I just can't fellowship with them. But you know, I shed tears over them on a regular basis. Yeah. And we should do the same thing. We all should understand that when there's a break, when someone, uh, you can't fellowship with them anymore for whatever reason it is, that's not something to rejoice in and say, uh, mark them up like a trophy on the wall. The only trophies I want are trophies of grace, not trophies of division. Saul had lost his right to be king. And we're told back in the 13th chapter at some point over there, when he first began, God told him, said, the Lord's taken the kingdom away from you and given it to a neighbor more worthy than thou, a neighbor better than you. Well, let's see who that is. In the 16th chapter of 1 Samuel, we find David making his first appearance on the stage of history. But it really is sort of a, 
it shows us a little bit here about what David, how David was thought of by his own family. You know the story. Samuel was sent by God to the home of Jesse, and God said, I'm going to raise me up a king out of, the, out of one of the eight sons of Jesse. And so it came to pass that they came and they brought all the sons in front of him. And in verse 6 it says, when they were come, it came to pass that he looked on Eliab, that's the oldest, and said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. <laughs> he, looked, he must have been an imposing figure, just like Saul. You know, Samuel's experience with the kingship had been King Saul. King Saul stood head and shoulders above everybody else. He was a big man. He wasn't a giant along the lines of Goliath. But when it came to uh, looking around you, you could always see where Saul was. He was a big, burly fella. He was strong. He was a warrior. He was someone who, uh, who stood out in the crowd, if you will. And that's what Samuel was, even the prophet was looking for, was someone that stood out in the crowd. He said, this surely must be him. But notice what the Lord said. The Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Amen. I am so thankful it's that way, aren't you? Now, it's, in a sense, it's scary. In a sense, it terrifies me to know that the Lord knows the secrets of my heart and the thoughts and of my mind and my heart before they're even spoken. But, but on the flip side of that, if you are uh, in the position that most little children of God are in or should be in of having a broken heart and understanding what a sinner you are and how, how worthless in many ways you are in the eyes of the world, you know, the things that we esteem greatly in the kingdom of God are esteemed very lightly in the world. But I'm thankful the Lord doesn't look at it as the world looks at it. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself here, so I'm not going to go too much deeper here because I want to preach on this, Lord willing, maybe next Sunday or the next. But just remember this, that the way we see is not the way God sees. But we ought to get our vision more in line with God's. God said, this man is not the one that I have chosen, for I look on the heart. Now, the point I want to make this morning is this. You'll notice that Jesse probably thought Eliab was the guy. And then he obviously thought, well, I'm just going to go down the list and I've got seven of my sons here that I'm going to parade before God, before the prophet and see which one of them it is because it surely must be one of these. But after all of them went through, verse 10, it says, Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. And Samuel said unto Jesse, the Lord hath not chosen these. You know, I'm sure Samuel's scratching his head. He's like, wait a minute. These are, and they're all pretty good specimens of a man. I'm sure maybe Eliab was the best, but you got these seven people, these seven boys here. And, and Samuel says, wait a minute, Jesse, the Lord hadn't chosen these. Are you sure you've got all your children here? <laughs> and notice what David's own father thought of him. He said, verse 11, ah, you know, and I'm, I'm adding Lib here with the, with the way I, I like to imagine these things and how they happen. I can just see Jesse said, oh, well, you know, I mean, there remaineth yet the youngest. <laughs> and behold, he keepeth the sheep. It's like, I guess his Lord was just wrong. <laughs> it couldn't be anybody in my family because my seven best sons went before him, you know. 
And it wasn't them, and I couldn't, no way it could be David. He's just the sheep keeper, you know? Mason's the youngest here in our family. And that'd be like us, you know, having some big big deal, a big get-together, and somebody wanting to meet meet our best children, you know, our best child, and we parade Meredith and Austin and Ashley in front of them. And, and then they said, well, wait a minute, this isn't the one I was, where, where's the rest? Ah, oh, it's just Mason. He's out there doing his own thing, you know? You don't want to meet him. <laughs> I mean, you know, we're a little embarrassed with Mason, you know. We're not really sure we want you to meet him. That's kind of, that's kind of the idea, and that's not the way we feel, Mason, I'm sorry. But that's kind of the idea here is, 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 is put yourself in this situation and think about it. You know, think about poor Abel down there. He's got uh, six older sisters, you know, and nobody really wants to see Abel, you know. He's a young boy, you know. So, but there, we keep Abel and Mason locked up in the barn, you know. We're not really, because when... When you looked at David, there wasn't a lot to see. He was a young teenager. And, and really all he was good for was keeping the sheep. When he, when, he, when he steps out on the stage of history here, we don't see very much. He's not a very imposing figure, it appears to be. But Samuel said to Jesse in verse 11, Or hear all thy children. And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. See, Samuel knew something Jesse didn't know. God had just told him, listen to me. I don't look on these things like you do. I look on the heart and not on the outward appearance. And so it says he sent and brought him in. Now, he was ruddy and withal of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. What he's saying there basically is he was just a little guy. He was a little young man, a, a teenager, best we can tell, who didn't look like much in the sight of the world. But God said, he's the man. He's the man. His first appearance was rather ignominious, I think. It was rather, um, you know, uh, sort of an anticlimax. You know, you'd had Saul, who was head and shoulders, the, 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 people, the, the people of Israel said, we want a king. <laughs> and Samuel, they, they chose him a king. <laughs> God helped him. God said, okay. And of course, we read about that in, in one place where it says he gave him a king in his anger and took him away in his wrath. God wasn't happy that they'd asked for a king. Right. Samuel had the only, the only experience Samuel had with kingship was Saul, who stood head and shoulders above everybody else. And now God is passing the mantle of the kingdom to this young boy. David was an imposing character in the Word of God, but not because he was an imposing figure in the world. Mm -hmm. Understand that. Now, as we continue a little bit of introduction here about David, I want you to notice something else. Turn to Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1. This, now remember this little... This little anticlimactic meeting of David, this little boy who his own father didn't think was worthy of the kingship. It turns out he was the one. That doesn't sound like a real good start, does it? But I want you to read with me in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now I want you to notice something here. When Jesus Christ first steps onto the stage of history 
as a bodily figure, as a human, when we first read about Him in the Gospel of Matthew, the first Gospel, the first verse of the first chapter, it says the book of the generation of Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus Christ? The Son of David. Jesus Christ is linked to David throughout the Word of God, throughout the New Testament. He is the very first name that He is called is Son of David. And we read as we continue through the Gospels and the New Testament that he is called the son of David 16 times total, if my figures are correct. In Matthew chapter 22, we read this in Christ's encounter here, one of his encounters with the Pharisees. In verse 42, verse 41, just for context, it says, While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, what think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? They say unto him, the son of David. See, even the Pharisees knew that he was linked to David, that he was going to be of the lineage of David. He was born in the, in the city of David. He was, uh, he was a, a descendant of David, and he's called directly the son of David. Of course, he goes on to tell them how then doth David in spirit call him Lord. <laughs> saying, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand till I make my, thine enemies thy footstool. If David then called him Lord, how is he his son? He's pointing out to them that there's a spiritual connection more than a physical connection. But here's the point, beloved. David was an imposing character in the Word of God. He is linked directly to Christ. As a matter of fact, this is something that, this is something that ought to be important to us who understand and believe that the kingdom of God is a visible kingdom, a spiritual kingdom, but manifest visibly in the church today, but that Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning even now. Well, guess where he's seated? Luke chapter 1 and verse 32. Luke chapter 1 and verse 32. As the angel is telling Mary that she's going to conceive Jesus in her womb, she says, uh, the, the angel says, rather, he shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. In Acts, the second chapter, when Peter's preaching there on the day of Pentecost, he is... Uh, uh, laying out the case for Jesus being the Son of God. And he's going back to the Old Testament and he's, he's pointing out some, uh, some Old Testament scriptures to these, uh, to these folks that were gathered there. And in verse 29 of Acts chapter 2, he says, Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn an oath with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins... According to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. I want you to look back with me to 2 Samuel chapter 7. And keep your finger there in Acts. And we're going to see what uh, Peter is talking about here. When he says in, in the second chapter after, uh, we won't go too much into the context, just understand that, that David is wanting to build a temple. God says you can't build the temple because you're a man of war. But he tells him some other things here. 
And he says in verse 12 of 2 Samuel chapter 7, When thy days be fulfilled, that thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. And he goes on to talk about those physical uh, descendants here. But then in verse 16, he says this, And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. And, and these words were given to God through, uh, given to David through Nathan by God. And what Peter is telling us here is that he's saying that because, Christ, that, that by, by the resurrection of Christ, that's what he's talking about there, that the throne will be forever. That he will rule and reign forever and ever. David was an imposing character in the word of God. Now, that still doesn't explain to us what God meant when he said, he's a man after my own heart. And I want to talk about that just for a few minutes. We may not get to finish it all this morning, but I want us to understand, and as we said in Acts 13 and verse 22, he said, and when he had removed him, he said, he said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. David was an imposing character in the Word of God. But I want you to understand something else about David. He had an imposing character. He had an imposing character. The character of David is important to us because David was a man after God's own heart. So what does it mean to be a man after God's own heart? Well, in order to understand that, we need to look at the life of David. Now, first of all, the first time we read of this is in 1 Samuel chapter 13. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, in verse 14, this is what after, after Saul has begun, I mentioned this earlier, after Saul has begun to stray from God's word, Samuel comes to him and says in verse 14, But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man, after his own heart, and the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people. You see, that's where that comes from. God has sought him a man after his own heart. But what does that mean? What does that mean to be a man after God's heart? Well, let's look at the heart of David. Let's just look at some of his characteristics. First of all, David had a faithful heart. He had a faithful heart. A man after God's own heart is a man with a faithful heart. He possessed absolute faith in God. The first time we see David doing anything in the Word of God, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, you all know that story about the, uh, of the encounter with Goliath. The first time we actually meet David and see him doing anything, we encounter this unwavering faith. Look in chapter 17. We're not going to go into all the details because I want to come back to it and really preach from this chapter at some point during this series. But look at verse 26 in 1 Samuel chapter 17. It says, David spake to the men that stood by him. This is after he has seen Goliath come up and challenge the kingdom of God, challenge the armies of God. David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? Now look at this. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? You know, David's not mad because the guy insulted him. David's upset because he insulted God. 
You know, sometimes we get mad. I do. We all do it. We get mad because somebody insults us. But my goodness, we're fallen sinners. We probably need to be insulted from time to time. But what we really ought to be getting angry about is when they insult God, when they bring God down to our level. Notice he had absolute faith in God. Look at verse 37. David said, moreover, after he's, he's telling Saul here about the bear and the lion that, that God, that, that, um, uh, that uh, uh, they came to try to steal the, the sheep and how he overcame them. And he said in verse 37, David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. God, David had absolute faith in God. He wasn't bragging about his exploits. He wasn't bragging about killing that bear and the lion. He said, The Lord delivered me. And the same God that delivered me there will deliver me from this Philistine. Look at verse, uh, look at verse 45. <laughs> and boy, here's where, let me, let me just say this to you. As I said, I, wanna, I don't want to get too far ahead. Lord willing, I want to preach from this chapter soon. But I want you to listen to what he's about to say. <laughs> and I want you to think about this. David better be sure that his faith is well placed. Because I want you to notice what he's fixing to do. He's fixing to challenge a, a giant. Now, you, you know, I, I confess to you, I like to think about fighting a giant. I like to think about all that. But I'm always nervous about bragging beforehand. <laughs> I'm always nervous about, as we say, counting our chickens before they hatch. But listen, David could do that because he had absolute faith in the God that he served. Now listen to what he says. Then David said to the Philistine, thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee. And I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistine this day into the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the Lord, all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. <laughs> Boy, he had absolute confidence in his God, didn't he? Because this is a nine foot something, nine foot nine to nine foot ten inch giant whose spear was the size of a telephone pole standing out there about to fight him. And he challenges him. He's already been insulted by the Philistine. He said, am I a dog that you send these little people out here to fight me instead that you come to me with staves? David had a faithful heart. In Psalm chapter 40 and verse 1, David says this, I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. He trusted God. Psalm 27 and verse 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. 
Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. I think David had a faithful heart, didn't he? Didn't he? Well, not only did David have a faithful heart, David had a servant heart. David had a servant heart. How many people do we know today that get into positions of power and become lifted up with pride and, and, and become swelled up and, and, and un, untouchable and no longer willing to do the mean and the lowly things of life? Well, the first principle of leadership is that if you're going to be a leader, you must be able and willing to serve before anybody will follow. You must be willing to do those tasks that those that you want to do those tasks are loath to do. You know, David had good training for this, didn't he? He was a shepherd. You know, and it's a principle that I've read about and been told before. You can't drive sheep. You can't drive sheep. You've got to lead sheep. And I want you to notice, again, some of these things, Lord willing, we'll come back to if the Lord keeps us on this series. But after slaying Goliath, after the 17th chapter of 1 Samuel, turn with me to the 18th chapter. And after slaying Goliath, you know, I would have been tempted to be lifted up with pride. You know, if I were the, the guy that went out there and just slew the champion of the Philistines, <laughs> and not just any old champion, you know, a giant from Gath, a son of Anak, one of those, those descendants of the giants out there, genetically uh, head and shoulders and more above everyone else out there. I had slain the giant. My, my temptation would be to go to my tent and lay back on, on the cushions and have people come fan me and bring me food and just, uh, you know, just make it, live it up. And, and somebody comes and says, uh, uh, Brother Chris, we need you to... Uh, uh, we need you to go back out now and go plow the fields. Uh, and, and I said, are you kidding me? You know who I am? <laughs> I killed the giant. Uh, uh, Brother Chris, we need you to go back to the, we need to go back to, uh, to, to cleaning the bathrooms again. And that's, oh no, that's, that's beneath me. See, that's, that's the way we think in human terms, is it not? But not David, not David. After slaying Goliath, David was still a servant. Chapter 18 and verse 5. And David went out whithersoever Saul sent him and behaved himself wisely. And he goes on to say Saul, some of the things that Saul did for him. He set him over the men of war and he was accepted in the sight of all people and in the sight of Saul's service. But he did, he went whithersoever Saul sent him. And you know, I can kind of see that. Maybe I, he's going to be a big war leader now. Well, that's exciting. He's gone from, you know, the, she, the she, uh, sheepfold and the, and the back 40, if you will, to being the war leader here, a great war leader. But I want you to notice something else he did. In verse 10, it came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit from God came upon Saul and he prophesied in the midst of the house and David played with his hand as at other times. And there was a javelin in Saul's hand. Now, that's another story altogether. But I want you to notice, for our purposes this morning, David had such a servant heart that he went back to the old job he had before Goliath. 
You know, if you read in the 16th chapter, and we're going to get to that, you're going to read that Saul sent for a young man to, you know, an evil spirit from God came upon Saul. He, the, the spirit of the Lord departed from him, the spirit of leadership of God, and he, he, he would go into a depression. He would go into problems that we might call depression today, but it was even worse than that. It was almost like being possessed of a demon, and he... Uh, and he, and he sent, the, you know, the, the servant said, we need to find somebody that can play well on the harp and bring him to play for Saul. And of course they found David and they brought him. And that was David's job was to play on that little harp and to soothe Saul's spirit. You know, after I'd killed Goliath, I'd have a hard time going back to the old mundane task. I'd say, wait a minute, Saul, I'm sorry. You got to get somebody else. I'm, I'm the big war leader now. You know, you remember what I did? You wouldn't go. Nobody else would go. I did. And by the way, Saul, I've already been anointed king. See, that's another thing we haven't even talked about here. Do you understand that the true king of Israel is not Saul anymore? It's David. It's David. Now, Saul's still sitting on the throne. Saul's still in charge. He's still large and in charge, as they say. But in the sight of God, David is the true king. He's been anointed by Samuel. But you see, David had a servant heart. And rather than asserting his privileges and rights, as he had a legal right to do, he knew that it was his job not only to be ultimately the king one day, but to serve in whatever capacity he needed to serve. Well, our time is gone this morning. There's several other characteristics of David that I want to come back to. Lord willing, we'll come back to that next Sunday morning. But as we continue to read, we're going to find some very important things about this imposing character who had an imposing character. And here's, here's the lesson for us. I want to be a man after God's own heart. I really do. I want my life to reflect that, and I know it doesn't. But one of the reasons we've been given characters like David to study and to learn from is so that we might learn what it takes to be a champion for God. That's what, that's what David was. David was God's champion. And because he was a man after God's own heart, there was no limit to what God would do with David. His focus was not on himself, it was on God. And I want to say to you this morning, as we learn some more about his character in the coming weeks, let me just encourage you by saying that there is no limit to what we can do in the kingdom of God if we have a heart for God like his servant David. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.